to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, navigating the headlines. How do you determine myth from fact? And how do you educate your clients about what they should and shouldn't believe from the media? This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, it's all about fake news. Or is it? Before we get into all of that, as always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Porton. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. This week's topic stems from a conversation we were having around what news do we share with our clients and when we are inevitably confronted on social media or in real life by a headline that we don't exactly agree with, how do we then answer those questions and concerns? So I want to kick it off with Cindy. Cindy, you know, you are very active on social media. You see a lot of quote unquote fake news and real news and real controversial topics flying around. How do you see veterinarians in general responding to some of the breaking news? Yeah. And one of the things I found personally challenging is that sometimes when news comes out, whether or not it's locally. So sometimes we've had a local veterinarian reach out to a news station, start talking about something like influenza, um, or you know we have national news like Becky brought up Petco announcing that they're not going to be selling any foods with um, unnatural ingredients, which I'm sure we'll dive more into that. Often these are developing stories or the information is incomplete. So we don't necessarily have a full conclusion to present to our clients right away. And generally, the first step we've taken is kind of huddle as a hospital and decide, you know, what statement do we want to make? What do we want our policy to be as a hospital? How do we want to respond if there is a medical recommendation that we need to make as a hospital related to what's coming out? What is that medical recommendation going to be? So, Becky, how do we listen for these types of breaking news? I mean, aside from catching it on the morning news, like what are some of the things that a veterinary team should be doing to listen in to be one step ahead of those difficult conversations with clients? Yeah, and I think you make the important point there of staying a step ahead because there's nothing worse than being in the room and the client's like, hey, what about this? And now you're all of a sudden confronted with this headline or this you know thing that's going around on social media and you have to kind of in the minute come up with it. There are so many great resources for staying on top of veterinary news. And I think it's our responsibility, just like we stay on top of scientific changes, to stay on top of industrial changes and using those resources, you know, things like the smart briefs and, and um, newsletters and, and reading, right? Just staying on top of reading is the way to do it. Right. And I think that this is where those initial filters start to kick in because there are a lot of confusing stories out there and then there are some that are just plain old wrong. Yeah. And I think, uh, Becky, you're so spot on, which is, you know, what are we doing to be proactive? So I, I use Smart Brief all the time, too. For those who don't know, um, uh, Animal Health Digest is another great one. Right. Brocke is a fantastic. That's a uh, animal health business consultation organization. And they also have a really great newsletter that often will talk about mergers or new products that are being announced. So that's another really great resource. 
Obviously, our regular uh, veterinary publications will often have announcements. But don't forget your local news, because sometimes that's going to have information that you're not going to see on a national stage. And a great tool for using that is Google Alerts. So you can actually set up uh, a little email newsletter for yourself where you enter in something like the name of your city plus dog or veterinary hospital or animal health. And you may have to tweak it a little bit over time. And uh, Dr. Caitlin DeWild, the social DVM, has some really great tips about how to set those alerts up so that you can stay appraised of stuff in your area. Like, did a cat end up having rabies in your area? You might really want to know about that. Or was there a huge fight at the local dog park? Those are such great tips. And it's such an important point. I love that you bring up other things that are going on local because those are the things you're going to have to deal with on a regular basis. And those are the things that you need to be prepared for every day. Those are the things that our clients are bringing to us. And it's such a great point. I love the idea of of knowing that there's fights in the dog park or that your local area has an influenza breakout that's about to hit the news and you know your phones are going to be ringing off the hook. And the reason this is so important if you're listening today to stay up on local and national and breaking news is because Our clients expect us to know what's going on. And if they bring up a topic that they are being exposed to in the wide world of media and you are clueless about it, it sort of is a signal that maybe you're not as together and as competent as I would like because they're going, hey, if I know about this, why doesn't my vet know about it as well? You know, I think that's a really interesting point because I think, does how far does that extend? And does that extend to some of these alternative modalities and at least being educated enough to know, you know, what is legitimate, what is safe, what is not safe, or what resources to direct people to so that they can explore things in a way that might be a little bit safer as somebody who initially worked at a practice that had a holistic veterinarian there? um, I certainly came to appreciate the fact that there are some natural or holistic modalities out there that can be dangerous. And so it it was always important to me to at least understand enough to, to know where to send people. Yeah. And Cindy, this is where it begin, begins to get a little complicated and difficult and challenging for us because people view veterinarians as purveyors of all animal knowledge. And so like right. this past weekend, I was confronted about a zoo animal case that was occurring in another part of the country. And somebody saying, hey, what do you think about that cat? And you're kind of like going, wow, Good thing for me, I have my Google Alert set so that I knew what they were talking about and was able to give at least a somewhat cursory informed you know, response to this person. But that's where it, it gets really tricky because you're right, whether it's diet, whether it's holistic, whether it's herbal, whether it's surgical, whether it's you know radiation therapy, they sort of expect that if it's in the news, you, the veterinary professional, should be aware of it. Well, and that's exactly right into Dr. Cindy's previous point is what is the hospital's policy going to be on it? And I think that's the best thing because how many times are we caught in this uncomfortable situation where maybe reception or our customer service reps are taking a call? They may indicate one thing if they if they decide to give an answer or you have to put them on hold instead of being able to just sound really on top of it and say, oh, absolutely, we heard about this. This is our our clinic standpoint, and this is how we feel like you should respond. Or yes, we know you're up to date, or we think you should get in for that vaccine, or whatever it is. And we always talk about policies and being on the same page and being really proactive. I think gives you the opportunity to to do that, and from the front of the back to the clinic to make sure you're on the same page. And I love that idea. 
And this is where being a collective, being a team, being a tribe can really be to your benefit of staying on top of breaking news. And I would encourage you, you know, way back in the day when Facebook groups first started up, you know, I was encouraging clinics to to develop their own, create their own. I still think that's a great platform to communicate widely. We now use Slack more. There's some, maybe some HIPAA guidelines and some, it's a little more secure perhaps than Facebook, especially given the light of the recent news, the navigating the recent news around Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and so forth. But regardless, what you do is you have your team say, hey, if you see something interesting in the news, share it. And so you can create a Slack channel that just says breaking news or whatever. At least then your team can be aware that there was a case of feline rabies in an adjoining county. So I like anything you can do to bring together and sort of serve as a collective form of information, at least then your team, like Becky said, when they get that phone call, they say, oh yeah, we heard about that cat. Yeah. And you know, another thing I think about the benefit of, of doing this is sometimes our job can get a little bit mundane if we aren't looking for these changes, these updates, these advancements, right? So it's easy for us to just kind of feel stagnant in GP. I don't know how many techs I've worked with in emergency that can't really do the hours anymore. And they say like, look, I'm going to general practice. And then they're just so bored and they don't feel challenged and they don't <laughs> feel excited. And sometimes they think when we we treat the clinic and the medicine and the practice and our industry as breaking news, like what's new today, we can keep our staff really on their toes and excited and break up just some of that monotony. All right. Well, now I'd like to ask uh, both our panel and our audience, what do you do when you disagree? For example, there's a breaking news story that is a myth that it says, you know, oh, if you feed uh, gold colloidal compounds in your pet's food, they will never get cancer. I don't know, something absurd like that. How do you then politely and diplomatically and effectively counter that misinformation when it's coming into your clinic by way of your, your clients? Luckily, we don't have any of that in the veterinary industry. <laughs> Never. <laughs> oh, Everything every comes day. up really on par. I think it's important to remember professionalism in this case. It's really easy to laugh at a piece of information and not realize that our client might feel like you're laughing at them or that you're right. laughing at their question or mm-hmm. that there is a shaming process going on there. And so as easy as it is to roll your eyes and scoff, sometimes remember that the client may have a reason to think that this is valid information or the way that you answer that question could absolutely result in them not feeling comfortable asking questions down the road. So I think being professional, no matter how ridiculous the information you're being presented with is super important. And you guys know that I'm a positive reinforcement addict. And I think we should always in that situation positively reinforce the things that we do appreciate. I don't know about you guys, but I don't think a little Google searching is totally bad. I've definitely had no. a couple of cases where I had a client give an Advil to a cat and they absolutely shouldn't have. In that case, a little Google searching might have gone a long way. So so I actually encourage those clients. I say, I'm so glad you care about your pet's health and you're being proactive about looking at some information. Let me provide what background I can for you. And sometimes if it's something I'm not familiar with, I very straightforwardly say, I'm going to need to get some more information for you. That's not something I'm familiar with yet. Let me see if I can get some good scientific information for you. And these are the resources I'm going to reach out to. So I'm going to use um, peer-reviewed research. I'm going to reach out to other veterinarians and see what their experience is. And, and often when I can explain why and how I'm going to evaluate the information and the recommendation I give them, usually I find that that helps clients understand the information that um, I'm giving them. And, And we have to remember that even though these are other sources of information for people, 
generally speaking, most clients still want to get their medical information from their veterinarian. Um, is it, it, and that's still the case, I think, when the data is coming out in the pet obesity survey, right, Dr. Ward, that we're seeing that at least still, for the most part, people are turning to their veterinarian for information. Yes. And not only does the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention Survey keep supporting that over the past several years, but I've seen other surveys that show show the same thing that like people, you know, go to Dr. Google and they appreciate and respect that. But ultimately the final determiner of what they will actually do is often their veterinary professional. You know, I think for everyone, there's just a level of feeling somewhat uncomfortable when you don't know what to anticipate coming. And so I think doing those searches just makes it so that when you walk into the clinic, you have the opportunity to have some familiarity with what you might hear or what might possibly be wrong. So I think that's a super great point. But one thing that occurs to me as well is these are opportunities for us to proactively educate our clients as well. I can't tell you how many times I've had people ask me, like, I never know what to put in our newsletter. I never know what to put on social media. And I think Dr. Cindy makes a great point about educating our clients on how to do this research. So hey, this article showed up on my social media this morning. Here's a couple other articles you may be interested in reading that have the science that either support or negate what you might be reading from a less credible source. So helping to teach them. But again, these are great ways to just be proactively reaching out and educating clients, which we're always looking for things to fill those spaces. And and I think it's interesting. I definitely am curious from you guys what your go-to resources are for clients. Because as I think there was a millennial study put out by Merck that just shows that clients like knowing that, you know, we're, we have good backups. So yes, they love hearing that opinion from us. They want to know that that's going to be backed up by opinions they get from other people as well. You know, I think it's, it's really nice to have different mediums because we all have different ways of consuming, whether it's listening to the news or, or reading the news and, and podcasts are becoming more and more popular, which we're a big fan of that, you know, and I think having things to help educate our clients and not just feel like we are the only source, but having really good answers and having good material to give them when they come in is wonderful. But what I want to know from you guys is what happens when all of a sudden there's some science that goes against a practice that you've been doing? So you have a policy, you have a procedure, and all of a sudden we find out, which we do all the time, a better way to do things or perhaps what we're doing isn't correct. How are you addressing that with your clients when you maybe have to backtrack a little? Yeah. And and I have experienced this when I've moved to a new clinic. And sometimes my standard of care has been different than the standard of care that's been practiced in the past. And the nice thing is when we do have data and when we do have science, I think in some ways, for me, I find that a relatively easy conversation because I can say, you know, hey, our data is supporting that this is the best way for us to do things. Like for me, one big change at our practice was making sure that we aspirated every mass, especially if it was uh, gotta love Dr. Sue Edinger's recommendations. If it's bigger than a P, if it's been there over a month, we should be aspirating those and making sure we know what's in those masses. And then we can build on that success. So then using stories of how important that has been. So then being able to say, and since we've started implementing that that new policy and that new protocol that veterinarians are using across the country, you know, I found several, at least, you know, five or six masses that we've been able to treat before they got really big and before they started affecting that pet's quality of life. So I, I think we it's good and important to admit that we our profession moves forward and we try to move forward with it. Um, and that that's something that happens in medicine across the board. Okay. So let's say a story is running that is 
obviously overtly incorrect. And there are stories like this that do emerge, particularly they're not driven by veterinarians or veterinary technicians, but they just come up and suddenly people are saying, you know, oh, if you only feed chicken necks to your dog, it'll cure all their skin allergies. How do you, again, in a broader sense, not one-on-one, but maybe on your social media, on your blog, on your website, how do you then address that? I mean, should you address it? Because I will tell you, there are a lot of veterinarians listening today that are going, let sleeping dogs lie unless somebody brings it up. I'm not going to bring it up. But is that always the right attitude either? That's such a hard question, right? And I think it it does sort of depend on your clientele and, and, and the relationship that you have. But I personally think being honest, it's funny, I've always had this expression and and all of my past managers can say is, you know, if I tell you, then it's a reason. If you have to ask me, it sounds more like an excuse. And mm-hmm. and so I don't believe in let sleeping dogs lie because the worst thing for me is to have a client come back and say, no one ever told me. And then I did a Google search and it turns out there's tons of information on this right. and you guys didn't let me know. And I think it really destroys or or affects at least the trust and credibility of the practice and the veterinary relationship that you have. So I think that it is important to address. I think it is important to be out there. I think healthy, we call it confrontation, which has like a negative connotation. But what it really just is, is, is having a proactive conversation. I know that this is what you're doing and this is what you believe, or I know that you have this piece of information, but let's really talk about your pet and the way that this information could affect your pet and make it personal. Yeah, absolutely. Because as long as we are viewed as the purveyors of good health, as we are helping you be good stewards of of pet care, then they expect us to be forward on these types of issues. And so I would say that if we want our profession to be viewed as the experts, as the leaders, then we have to be the experts and the leaders. And sometimes I do think that our profession is like, you know, Ernie, we're making way too much out of nothing. And then six months later, it's a big thing and we missed our opportunity to intervene. Yeah. And I I think when we engage in those discussions, again, I think it's important as is a common theme that we talk about not to be judgmental, to talk about information, to try and ask questions, to figure out why people are making the decisions that they're making, where they're getting their information from, highlighting what isn't isn't included there. Is it fact-based? Is it peer-reviewed? And then when you provide countering information to say, this is why I think this information is important, and to understand just some basic logical fallacies that are often used in arguments. So for instance, the ad hominem fallacy. So the idea that the person who's presenting the argument, so often in the case of, say, chicken necks or raw food, the argument is often made that, okay, well, the the big companies are just out to get the little guy. And so, you know, that's why you know all this information or you believe all these things. And one thing I'll, I'll often talk about is just go in and looking at the numbers. Like if you know what people think and what people are, what arguments people are making, often you can go and get data to see if that's really true. So for instance, I think the last time I looked into like the grain-free um, and raw food industries, I mean, these, these industries are now in the millions of dollars. So it, I don't think you can continue to make the argument that there's no money in those industries for them to do good scientific studies to figure out if these things are really having a benefit on the the pets who are eating them, if they really are. Well, and, and this also leads us to another natural conclusion that a lot of this stuff is not black and white. It's gray. Right. In fact, you just listed yeah. one of the most gray areas in all of medicine, that is the science of nutrition. So I think that it, we also, when we're presenting a counter argument, when we're leading 
a, a charge on an, on an issue that's controversial. We also have to be understanding that, you know, there maybe aren't as many absolutes as we'd like in medicine. And that's a hard thing for most of us. I mean, we are really linear, binary thinkers. Most of us are, at least. And suddenly when somebody says, yeah, but sometimes that really throws us off. So I would say, as you are moving your message forward, be aware that it's not always so clear that there are a lot of gray margins on the edges. And one of my favorite things to say is just, you know, hey, we have fewer pets than we have people. We have fewer research dollars in animal medicine than we do in human medicine. This is what we understand so far. And to admit, frankly, that, you know, in any time in medicine, we don't have a 100% complete picture, but this is the picture that we do have. And that often we've got to do our best with, with what we currently do know. And then presenting people with the information that we do have. And, and I tend to find that that is compelling for most people. I totally agree. And I guess I kind of want to ask a behind the scenes question now too is on the front end, we've, you know, spent the last 20 minutes discussing how we deal with this as a team, how we deal with it within our our practice and with our clients. But do you guys like write the companies? Do you guys write comments clickety clack underneath these social media posts when you see them? How involved do you get on the back end when you see a piece of um, quote unquote news um, or quote unquote science? Are you getting involved on the back end with the authors, with the companies, with the organizations and trying to um, beat out information maybe you don't agree with or that isn't correct? How involved do you get and how involved should we be getting? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I would say it depends <laughs> because it's another gray area. <laughs> Oftentimes, I'm familiar with the company or even the person writing some of this this content. And I do. I reach out privately. I'm not a big social media, get back and forth and, and argue online. I, yeah, I just yeah. think that's a waste of my time. But regardless, you know, I do, when, when something is especially egregious, I tend to reach out to that person. Now, there are people within our industry, both professional and, and adjacent, that I just, you know, we just have complete, dis we just disagree on yeah. the fundamentals. And so I, I don't really bother that anymore. But many times I'll have a colleague who will write a piece. And in fact, this happened not too long ago to a person I consider a good friend of mine. And he wrote something that was just, just preposterous. And I picked up the phone. I said, hello, <laughs> this is Ernie. Uh, let's talk about what you just wrote. <laughs> and it was really funny because, you know, my opposition, my criticism had not even crossed his thought. Like nobody had pointed this out to him at all. And I got to tell you, by the end of that, that, that 20 minute conversation, uh, I think he was really questioning whether or not he, had, he should have written that. I don't know, Cindy, what about you? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm trying even to think about examples and like where there are examples that we've had to, you know, put forward a big response as a clinic. Most of the time, luckily, it hasn't been on kind of the fake news front where it's been such big news that we've really had to address it as a clinic um, where I've felt like, oh my gosh, that's so completely wrong. Um, th there have been a couple times where there've just been things that have been kind of funny. Like there was a new New England Journal of Medicine article where they talked about how this cat may have given the owner tularemia. And the original article from the MD said that the vet presumed the cat had leukemia um, when it was incorrect. They hadn't gotten, it looked like they hadn't gotten any medical records from the veterinarian. If anything, the cat may have had lymphoma right. um, because tularemia usually presents as uh, enlarged lymph nodes. Right. So anyway, right. I, I did leave like a social media comment on that post just being like, hey, you might want to 
understand yeah. a little bit more about veterinary medicine here. Right. <laughs> it's funny because it does just it, like yeah. tweak your your veterinary medicine button yeah. that you just are like, I, I just really tickly. I think for support staff and veterinary technicians, for us, a lot of times it comes in when there's an article that features a quote unquote um, veterinary technician. And and again, what we know is that in some states, you can be a veterinary technician titled without a, without any kind of credentialing. But in a lot of states, there is a credential associated with that particular title when it's being used. And so when we see news articles that say, you know, a veterinary technician uh, tube fed down the wrong tube and drowned a patient, you know, that that happened right. he, at the university here. Or, you know, there have just been circumstances where the word veterinary technician is used in association with a, a negative action. And you always see these comments explode about, was it a credentialed technician? And how is that name veterinary technician being used in association with this particular news story? And so I think for for us, that's one place I always see it on a personal level, it's the generic use of soldier for every <laughs> branch of the military. They're not all soldiers. And and that's one where I'm always like, dear author, <laughs> learn how to use it. So it's just funny how those different things are uh, motivate us to weigh in or not. But I do think that there's a sort of a responsibility attached with that sometimes to help educate in, in verbiage and usage. Um, or, or like you said, doctors, and you can really start a scare of saying that they thought there was leukemia and lymphoma and mixing these things up. It's, I think it's kind of important and um, right. it's interesting to, to read comments when the time comes. Yeah. And this yeah. is this kind of, I think, as we wind up this conversation today, it gets even more confusing with the terminology of the quote unquote experts. I mean, you know, it's no, <gasps> no, yeah. no, no, no secret here that we've even uh, talked about this guy before, but he's going to be speaking at VMX. This Brandon McMillan, who is, doesn't even have a high school degree or maybe has a GRE, calls himself an animal behaviorist. You know, he has yeah. a very popular CBS uh, show. He's going to be featured at VMX. And so now people come in, your clients come in and go, well, this animal behaviorist is saying it's just fine to do this. And of course, you may object to that particular training or, or behavioral modification technique. And so I really do get concerned sometimes about the use of the terminology. Like you said, veterinary technician can be thrown around loosely. Animal behaviorist is certainly widely, widely appropriated at times. So, you know, again, Cindy, how do you sometimes weave through who's actually saying this stuff? Yeah. And I think at least as experts, we have a better idea of what the language should be and whether or not it's being used appropriately. And I'm more likely to say, oh, if they're using certified or licensed or registered veterinary technician, they probably actually took the time to figure out what that person's actual credential was versus just using a generic term. Um, or if they're giving somebody's actual degrees, that that's somebody who actually has some level of, of expertise that I can double check on. And I think this just kind of highlights that, you know, what is our responsibility for putting good information out there? Because in response to Becky's original question too, I've realized that I think my main way of dealing with it is just trying to put good information out there. So when I do find a good resource that kind of covers what it is that we want people to know, sharing that with the animal lovers that I know personally, um, putting that on my Vet Changes World page and making sure that we we put that good information out there so that it's it's circulating. Yeah, I would say if you're listening today, it is incumbent upon all of us to stay abreast of breaking news, to navigate these somewhat murky waters at times and try to make sense of it for our clients. And then whenever possible, lead and be the experts on topics that maybe are really confusing for pet owners because at the end of the day, all we really want is to provide the absolute best care for the animals we love. You're here. 
So you've heard what we have to say. Now we would love to hear what you think. Are there any particular news stories that drive you absolutely crazy that you could not believe came out or were published by the popular press? Anything uh, that was really relevant in your local area? Feel free to reach out and share those things with us. Uh, You can find us on social media at Veterinary Viewfinder and on Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. We're not quite as active on Twitter, but we are there at Vet Viewfinder. And if you really want to make some breaking news, leave us a review, especially on iTunes. Your five-star rating means so much to us and helps us sort of feel good about putting all this time in to help out our profession. And while you're there, don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of The Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time, is it bye? Or is it bye? Or is it? Bye. I'd, I'd go with bye. 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 Oh, bye. Fake news. Fake buys. <laughs> Fake news. <boys>. Adios. <laughs> Until next time. Enviendo. Au revoir. Au revoir. We're so good. I think we're having a great